AE self-sourcing, big topic right now. If you're an account executive listening to this, you've probably realized that this year, hey, I got to self-source a ton more pipeline because inbound has dried up a little bit. I'm getting less SDR support. And in this podcast, I'm going to give you a framework that you can steal to self-source 30 plus percent of your pipeline that does not involve making hundreds of cold calls. Before we get to that, thanks for checking out the podcast. My name is Jason Bay and Outbound Squad. Our goal is to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're an account executive that's doing some outbound, closing some deals, or you're an SDR with hopes to become an account executive or leading either of those two folks, you're definitely in the right place. Today, I'm super excited. This is an audio excerpt from a webinar that I did a couple weeks ago, and it's a solo episode. So it's me going through in detail a framework that you can apply that's three parts. I'm going to talk to you about how to prioritize your time. Because self-sourcing mastery is really more about what you say no to than what you say yes to. We're going to talk about committing. So what does the daily, weekly commitment look like from a time standpoint? How much time should you block off? When should you block off that time for outbound? And then lastly, execute. I'm going to give you some plays that you can run so that you can actually put some of this stuff quickly into action. So I did this as part of a sales hacker, excuse me, webinar, and uh, we had to really great turn. I think there's three or 400 people that ended up showing up live. So it was a really fun one. Do me a favor before you get to the episode today. Can you like or leave a review on the podcast on Spotify or Apple podcasts? It definitely helps us get this show in front of more people exactly like you, which is exactly why we do it. So we really appreciate your help. And without further ado, let's get to it. We're going to talk AE self-sourcing. Um, one of the things that I want to start with, though, is uh, I got a question for you guys, and I'd love to hear your in, uh, uh, input, excuse me, in the chat. Drop your answer into the chat. So self-sourcing pipeline. Let me know in the chat, what percentage of opportunities do top-performing account executives self-source? Drop that answer into the chat for me. It's going to be where we spend the majority of our time. Yeah, bro, I was going to say the same thing. Nice music choice, right? <laughs> so we got 75%, 35, 80, 90, 100%, Angela says. Shannon says 2,020%. <laughs> Shannon's crushing quota over there. So I thought we would start with a, a piece of data that would help kind of point us in the right direction. So there's a, a couple of pieces of data that I tend to lean on. Uh, one of them is from Bridge Group. So Bridge Group, this is from a study they did with over 400 B2B SaaS companies. And what they found is it really kind of varies on deal size, but you can see highlighted in red there that depending on the size of deal that you sell, and it's probably even higher now. I'm going to show you another stat here in a second. But you can see it's 26, 29, 28%, around a third of pipeline is typically needed to be self-sourced. And I don't know if anyone's noticed a trend now. Let me know in the chat if you relate. Has has inbound kind of dried up a bit or, or SDR struggling a little bit more maybe to get meetings for you? Are you having to self-source more now than you were maybe a year ago? Let me know in the chat. Is that something you relate with? Yeah, David says dried up. <laughs> yeah, a few people. So another stat, Sales Loft's got an interesting stat on this too. They looked at folks using their platform, and you can see it's even higher 
in their data too. So depending on deal size, 30 to 60% of top performers are self-sourcing uh, deals. So I think the big thing that I really want to just relay is that self-sourcing ability is the number one predictor of long-term success in sales. So whether times are good or bad in the economy, self-sourcing right now, it just happens to be the thing that you need to do in order to hit quota. And it's the thing that when those reps on your team that are hitting 120%, 150%, 200% of quota, this is the thing that they get really good at. So what I want you to take away from today, we're going to, um, it's going to be very interactive. It's uh, I'm going to do this very much workshop style. Uh, I'm going to give you a framework that you can use to get to 30% of your opportunities coming from you, self-sourced, all of that kind of good stuff. So what I would love to know from you, I got what top performing AE self-sourced. Drop in the chat for me. What percentage of your pipeline are you self-sourcing right now? Let me know in the chat. Yeah, we got numbers all over the place. Yeah, 5 to 10%, Tammy says. Ken says 15. We have 100%. For some of you that have to self-source 100% of your pipeline, you're like, dude, this 30% thing, where are these people getting that other 70? Right? I don't have to do everything. <laughs> Christopher says, I wish. Yeah, we got some heavy self-sources in here. So love it. So... To help me kind of customize the content today, because we're going to do this, like I said, workshop style. Um, let me know in the chat, what's the biggest challenge that you have in self-sourcing more pipeline? Sometimes what I hear is, hey, it's hard to find time because I'm working deals too. Or, hey, I don't have a lot of the scripting, messaging, all of that kind of stuff. And it's just kind of hard to get the activity started. Or Siobhan, there in the chat, dropped in, um, hey, like my stuff is not working. Yeah, response rate. What's working best? Cold calling. I suck. Hard to get the activity started. Cold call reluctance. I could talk about cold calling all day. So we might uh, we might talk a little bit more about cold calling today too, if you guys want. Yeah, no one answers the phone. Moving from intro call to a valid op. Yeah, low response rates. Dude, loving the engagement, you guys. I'm just looking through the chat here. This is all really great stuff. Okay. So we're definitely going to address all of these things. So as I'm going through this today, um, there's a Q&A button here in the bottom of the screen in Zoom. So if you have a specific question that you would like me to answer, definitely drop that into the Q&A. So I want to get like right to brass tacks here and give you guys some goodies, okay? So the key idea, the first key idea I want to share with you is the best account executives that I work with, and I also do outbound and prioritize this in my day as a, and I run a business, you know, it's even, there's. There's a delivery part of what I'm doing. There's a marketing part, what I'm doing now with you. Uh, there's a sales component. So fitting this in, the first kind of key idea is the mindset shift around don't try to schedule outbound around the activities that you do throughout your day. I want you to schedule your day around outbound. The first thing that I would share with you is if you can dedicate 60 to 90 minutes per day and make it a non-negotiable. 60 to 90 minutes per day. And we're going to talk about what to do in that block here in a second. 60 to 90 minutes. I like to put a little asterisk and then like an NN in my calendar in front of things that are non-negotiable. One of those for me is working out in the morning, right? This is something that I, if I move it, I have to do it later that day. This is a non-negotiable, has to get done this day. That's the first kind of key idea that I'd share with you, okay? There's three principles before we get into the tactics that I want to help you leverage. Okay, 
So these are principles that you can think about when you're scheduling your week, how you tackle your typical days, all of that kind of stuff. So the first one is Pareto's principle. You may have heard 80-20 rule, and it's over-indexing on the highest impact activities and opportunities and ignoring everything else. One of the first things that we're going to talk about, and I have like a worksheet and an exercise I'm going to run you through, is there's a high likelihood that 50% or more of the accounts that you're assigned, you should not spend any time on engaging. Your ability to ignore activities and accounts, especially that are not worth your time, like that's really the game here. It's like, where am I going to go all in? on the stuff that really matters. So again, I want you to kind of keep these three principles in the back of your head as we're going through the content today. Pareto's principle, 80-20. Where am I going to find the 20% of activities to go and spend 80% of my time on? Number two is Parkinson's law. So one of the things that, let me know if you relate in the chat that I have found is that when I have time constraints, so when I have a deadline to get something done or I don't have a lot of time to do it, I tend to get more done. Let me know if you relate in the chat. One of the things that I would recommend if you're not doing it already, and again, we're going to get into some more tactical stuff here in a second, is Parkinson's law. Essentially, the way that you can leverage this, the, the easiest way is to have a clear stop time at the end of your workday. So that stop time for me is 5 p.m. Do I go over it? Sometimes. <laughs> I'm not perfect with it. But if you can create a, create a clear stop time at the end of your day and have something else planned that you're going to do at that time. So if you have kids, maybe it's at 5 p.m. I shut off and I cook dinner together with my kids. Maybe it's I have a social event or something that I go do with a friend, something I planned that if I bailed on it, I would feel really bad. Maybe it's date night with your spouse. Maybe it's you go on a walk. That's something that I... When the weather's nice, I live in the Pacific Northwest now, so we can start kind of doing this in the last month or two, is maybe at the end of the workday at five o'clock, there's something on the calendar with my spouse where I go on a walk at the end of the day. And that's what we use to decompress and transition into the personal part of life. So create a clear stop time. When you're just answering emails and doing that stuff all day long and there's no stop time, you don't compress the time and it doesn't ever create any urgency. So create time constraints, leverage time constraints. And again, we're going to talk about daily schedule here in a bit. I want to give you kind of the why behind this. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, please don't contact me in the chat, but uh, procrastination is a hell of a motivator. So yeah, totally agree with you. Um, and I sort of shared this, this other one, the non-negotiables, like the daily commitment. This needs to become a non-negotiable. It needs to be like exercising and eating healthy. It's something that you do every day and you plan around it. We schedule our day around outbound. So this is what I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about. There's three key steps. I'm going to run you guys through a worksheet. And again, this is going to be workshop style. Prioritize, commit, and execute. And again, that was prioritize, commit, and execute. Okay. And I just noticed that I wasn't sharing my screen this entire time and I was going through slides. So I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Roll it with me on that. So prioritize, commit, and execute. Rookie mistake, Jason. So those are the three things that we're going to talk about. So as we start to dig in here, yeah, I just decided to, to me, I, I just decided not to share the slide because I already kind of explained everything that was on the slide. <laughs> yeah, Alex is like, I'm an auditory learner. And uh, 
<laughs> didn't notice. So I appreciate the love, you guys. Um, so prioritize, commit, and execute. Okay. So the first thing that we want to do is prioritize. And what we're going to do is we're going to figure out what to say no to. Here's where I would like your help in the chat so that we can get a conversation going around this. And then we're going to dig into the content. So this prioritize piece, let me know in the chat, what have you identified in your set of accounts? What are one or two indicators that if you were doing research on this account, that would not be a good account to spend a lot of time on going after from an outbound standpoint? What are the disqualifiers that you look for? Let me know in the chat. What are the disqualifiers that you look for that would indicate going after this account might be a time waster? And I'm going to kind of run you guys through some exercises here. Yeah, when it's small, bad website, doesn't fit ICP. If, if they got PayPal, no money. Yeah, visit, vision mismatch. Owned by a competitor. Yeah, low ARR potential. Outside of your, Chaim says account industry is not doing good. Website down, low ARR, low rev. No employees are on LinkedIn. Yeah, bad credit. Yeah, I don't know about the LinkedIn one. Quarterly rev updates, no bueno. What else? What about employee count head growth? Does anyone have any metric that they might look at in terms of total like opportunity of spend maybe? So if you have something that's sold on a license basis, so for example, if I'm selling outreach and um, we're looking at BDRs and AE headcount, right? Is the headcount growing or shrinking? Right. So what's the opportunity? Are there more users that could be using the platform is a really good thing to look at too. Yeah. Website traffic. Bounce rate. Yeah, totally. Okay. So this is where we're going to start to get into workshop mode. Okay. So I'm going to share my screen. This is a document that I'm going to leave you guys with. Okay. I'm not going to share access to it right away. So I don't want you guys to skip ahead. Okay. So let me. This is what you're going to get after this, okay? So it's an AE self-sourcing guide. And what we're kind of doing here is working through this first step, this prioritized step. Okay? So let me zoom in. This is a really great exercise to do. Um, let me know in the chat. Yeah, Garrett. Yeah, I don't want you to skip ahead, dude. Then you're going to leave, you know, 20 minutes in. <laughs> um, let, let me know in the chat. Uh, who here has quarter end coming up like this month? So you're starting a new quarter at the beginning of July. Let me know in the chat. Yes or no? Okay, so a lot a lot of you. I figured you're, most of you are on a normal quarter. Uh, the fiscal year lines up with how you guys do your quarters. So the number one exercise that I would recommend, and there's some really specific things in here, is pull up the company names and websites of the last five to 10 deals that you closed. Put them into Sales Navigator. You could use Apollo, Zoom Info, whatever you got. And you're going to look at these criteria. I think one of the big things that you guys alluded to here, industry, is if you are, let's say that uh, healthcare and fintech are two industries that you serve. And then your account list is like maybe 60% healthcare and fintech. And then it's like manufacturing, retail, and all this other stuff in the other 40%. 
if where your case studies and social proof and where you've closed deals is in a specific industry or set of industries, those are going to become like your A accounts that you spend a ton of time on, right? So you're looking for patterns in industry, okay? One of the number one things that a prospect cares about is industry expertise. Does it appear that they specialize in my industry? That's a huge one, okay? Uh, employee counts, obviously another big one. Company headcount growth, tech stack, is the department growing? All of that kind of stuff, right? So you're going to look for patterns in those accounts. And then we're going to prioritize those accounts and pick out the top 20% of your accounts to focus on first. And I gave you an example in here. So if the last 10 deals were companies with 500 to 1,000 employees in these industries is what it looked like. They have sales teams with 50 plus reps. I'm going to double down on marketing agencies. Because you know what I can say when I reach out to them? I can say, we're working with these other two marketing agencies that you might recognize. Right? So Christopher asked a great question in the chat here. He said, if you have not closed a deal yet, do you focus on what the company has had the most success with? Yes, absolutely. So what I'm looking for, uh, is anyone else relate to Christopher, by the way? Anyone else in that position where maybe you haven't closed 10 deals yet? Pretty common in SaaS, I've noticed, where you know, there's, there's probably a lot of new account executives, I would assume, on this call, or maybe new in the role at your company or new in seat. Yeah, I'll give you guys a couple of really good hacks, okay? The number one thing that you can do if you have not closed your first five or 10 deals yet and for enterprise, it might be a little different, right? You might be trying to close three to five deals over the course of an entire year. Is whatever conversational intelligence tool you're using, I won't mention the specific ones. <laughs> so uh, a lot of the sales engagement tools like Outreach, let's say, have conversational intelligence. What I'm going to do is I'm going to follow the best rep on the team. I'm going to follow their deals that they're working right now. And I'm going to listen to those recordings and look at the transcripts and look at and reverse engineer how those deals came together. It is such a big hack that I see people not utilizing. Um, one of the things that you can do is figure out how the deal comes together in terms of the first call. Is it typically with a director of something or a manager of something? Does it start above the line? Does it start below the line? When do they typically get power involved in those deals? What industry are those deals? You can pick up industry lingo from the transcripts in those calls. So follow the top two or three AEs, follow their deals in your conversational intelligence tool. The other thing that you can do too is look at some of the big logos that were landed and just reverse engineer and look in Salesforce in your conversational intelligence tools about how that deal came together. Yep, totally. Yeah, Tatiana says, what if my role is new in the team? <laughs> you are shit out of luck. No, I'm kidding. Um, there's, there's other stuff that you can do. You're obviously not going to be able to reverse engineer a deal, but if your founder, let's say, was founder-led sales prior to that, you could reverse engineer deals that you are uh, <laughs> that your founder closed. So that's a really kind of uh, a good thing that you can do too. And I'm just looking through the chat. Yeah. So Jessica Swan said, "I'm in an enterprise role and only have 20 target accounts, so all of our priority." What I would consider doing, Jessica, if I was you, is I would say. Let's tear out these 20 accounts, okay? And what you can do is think about what your deal mix might look like. And you might look at it like this. What are the whales? What are the tuna? What are the salmon, 
Okay, I got that from a friend of mine, Dan, Dan Strauss. Um, so of those 20 accounts, are there two or three that are more like maybe strat accounts that are really big, great logos where I'm going to invest a ton of time into these deals? What are the uh, tuna, so to speak, the stuff that's kind of like above average? And then what's the salmon? What are your typical kind of bread and butter deals that fit your average deal size? And what I would really do if I was you is I would think about what are the, out of these 20, where are the five to seven maybe that I'm going to spend the most time on right now? And then maybe do like air coverage type of outreach to the rest. Or I'm going to do more sequenced, less personalized outreach to the rest. And if I get some bites, it's great. But I'm really going to focus all of like the effort that I spend throughout the week and all of the account research. I'm going to really double down on those top five to seven. Yeah, Chris says avoid the minnows. So, okay, let's keep rolling. Um, loving the engagement so far. If you guys have questions, the the way that you're going to get the most out of the session is to keep asking those questions. I, I really want this to feel workshop style for you guys. Um, yeah, John says the John Barrows method. Big fan of John's stuff. Uh, you know, tailored, targeted, templated. I like that. I never heard that before. That's pretty cool. Okay. So step number two, and again, I'm going to give you guys this document here. Um, so you want to cherry pick your best accounts. And now what I can do is follow triggers. So I'm just looking over at the chat again here. So for Jessica, this might be like kind of a good tip for you is you can prioritize those 20 accounts. And then what I would do is follow all of these accounts in Sales Navigator. Zoom info is obvious. Like they have some really badass stuff around like internal purchases that have been made at these companies, like stuff that's like newsworthy that might point to a trigger that creates a need to have a conversation with you. So these three steps here, these are really, really good. Yeah, the Zoom Info scoops. So what you can do then is you can take Jessica in the case of you, you can take those 20 accounts Follow all of them on LinkedIn Sales Navigator or Zoom Info Scoops, whatever you want to do. And I want you to start looking really in depth. And basically what you're trying to do is play a game of poker. If, I'm, if I had to spread out my chips and go all in maybe on two or three of these accounts, based on where I have introduction opportunities, who might already know about our brand, who has relevant triggers, like if I had to make bets on these accounts and assign a probability of closing this year, a percentage to each of those 20, what would have the highest percentage? And that's where you can go. And what I'd love to hear from you in the chat here is these triggers that you see on SalesNav on the page, on my screen here, um, which one of these are you not using that you could literally start using later today when you're going after accounts? Which triggers on my screen are you not using? Let me know in the chat. Is there something specific that you see here on my screen that you could start using right away? Yeah, Kevin Bird said past employees. You guys, this one's money. I have a play that I'm going to show you how to run on this too. I got templates, all kinds of stuff. Past employees of current customers, money. Yeah, previous responses. Previous closed lost ops can be pretty good too, if you have them. I think one of the most underrated ones too is Team Link. If you're selling for a big enterprise, there's a likelihood that someone else on the team is connected with them that could give an intro. Yeah, Rachel says the newly hired execs. The reason why this one is so good, uh, the data is a little old on this one, but with newly hired executives, um, typically in their first 12 months, 
like that's where they like spend a ton of money. And usually in the first three to six months, a lot of the training engagements that I get are from VPs of sales in their first three months enroll because they want to make an impact really quickly, right? So if your technology or what you sell could support making that impact early on, typically an executive is brought in to make change, right? So that's why that one is really, really good. Uh, Alon says, can you elaborate on what TeamLink is? So TeamLink's pretty cool. What you can do is in Sales Navigator, if your company has it set up for everyone, on the team plan, you could go through and look at who knows this prospect that is on your team that's connected with them. Another really underrated thing is just, it doesn't even have to be people on your sales team, just other people at the company that might be connected with this prospect. It could be people on your board. It could be executives, could be other reps, you know, like we talked about, but that's a really, really underrated one. And then intent data and all of that kind of stuff too. Okay, so someone asked in the Q&A here, what's the best way to prioritize accounts when you don't have an assigned account list or territory? It's pure Greenfield. So the best way would be to create those filters in Sales Nav. Let's say that's where you're finding your accounts or Zoom info. And then once you find people that, that fit what you think are the ICP requirements, what I would do is I would try to match as closely as possible where you already have existing social proof. So industries that you already have success stories and case studies with that fit that employee count range that have the highest propensity to say yes to you, you're going to create a list of that. And you're going to have to kind of manually go through and figure out, hey, from that list, how would I tier this? And then you can look for triggers and do all of that other kind of stuff. Cool. All right. So that was step number one. I think the big takeaway here is prioritization. 80-20 rule. I want to figure out where to spend 80% of my effort on the top 20% of opportunities that have the highest propensity, the highest probability. If I was playing a game of poker, I'd say out of these 20 accounts, I think these five have the highest propensity to close this quarter or close this year. I'm going to put my chips in those. And they're going to play more of a numbers game with the rest of the stuff. The biggest mistake you can make is just working your account list from top to bottom. Okay, so prioritize the top opportunities. Um, loving the engagement so far, by the way, you guys. So what I want to transition into next is commit. Okay. There's a couple of things in terms of how we want to spend our time and then how we want to like kind of align our schedule and make time for outbound. And then the third thing I'm going to talk about in the execute phase is I'm going to give you guys some plays um, that you can run. So step number two, biggest thing here is what's called the 10% rule. So a lot of times the biggest question I get is, Jason, how much time, if I'm an account executive, should I spend on outbound? And the answer kind of depends, okay? If you don't have a lot of pipeline, you should be spending all of your time doing outbound. That might be like three, four, five hours a day if you don't have deals that you're working right now, right? So we have to exercise a little bit of common sense here. Now, if you are running deals, a good rule of thumb is that you want to make this a daily habit and you want to spend about 10% of your selling time on outbound. What that works out to if you work a 40 to 50 hour week is about an hour a day. So if you can block 60 to 90 minutes out every day and do it first thing in the morning and do not schedule anything over it, unless your dream client's like, yeah, I want to meet with you. Let's meet at this time. That's the only occurrence that you would ever book over your outbound time. Okay. So 10% rule really big. Now I want to walk you through something here. 
All right. All good, Thomas. <laughs> yep, we're going to send it, Thomas. Okay. So Armand Farouk, uh, give me a yes or a no. Anyone uh, follow the 30 Minutes Presidents Club folks? Armand and Nick. We should have a lot of them here, I would assume. Yeah. Definitely go check out 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. Feel free if anyone wants to drop a link to their podcast or whatever, feel free to drop it into the chat. Big fan of their stuff. Good friends with them both. Um, Armand shared this tip with me on a webinar, and I thought it was really good. He talks about the golden hours. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to reserve golden hours, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. for sales activities. And we're going to do all of our admin outside of that. Okay. So we're going to chunk the admin time. We're going to do it at the end of the day. And I'll kind of share my screen again here in a second. The thinking behind this, so the principles, because I, I, I want to give you guys like we got to, if you're an account executive, you're, you're probably pretty smart. And uh, a lot of this is not about like do this thing or do that thing. It's if you have the principle and the why, I, I want to give you something where you can kind of make your own decision a bit. Okay. So the principle that we want to leverage is around willpower. So there's a reason why executives and, you know, like presidents and things like that, whatever you, regardless of what you think of our president, um, typically what they do to reduce decision-making is they reduce the amount of choices that they have to make throughout the day. So if you've ever noticed that you're really exhausted after a long day mentally, and maybe you don't even feel like you accomplished that much, but you had to make a lot of decisions, um, your willpower, your ability to make decisions, like it depletes throughout the day. So if we can push things that deplete willpower, but don't need a lot of like quality activity, like looking at email or sending email follow-ups versus making a cold call or running a sales call, if we can push willpower depleting things that aren't high impact to the end of the day, we're going to have more brain power to do the stuff that really matters. Because if I'm at 70% of my brain capacity to send a follow-up email, that's not nearly going to make uh, as much of an impact as if I'm at 70% on a cold call. Because I kind of need to be at like 95% plus in order to like, that could be the difference between getting a meeting or not. So I want to prioritize stuff that burns willpower that's high impact. I want to do that as close as possible to the beginning of the day, and especially during business hours. So the big takeaway is a couple things, okay? Block out 10% of your time for prospecting, one to two hours a day. Save extra time on Fridays, if possible. Yeah, Tatiana said decision fatigue. Yep. Jeb Blunt's got some really big stuff on golden hours. You guys are dropping into the chat, loving it. And here's what a typical, probably need to zoom in here. Here's what a typical week might look like if you're structuring your week in this way. Let me know in the chat what's different about this schedule than how you run your week. Let me know in the chat. The schedule that I have on the screen here, what's different about this schedule than how you run your week. Dude, Alex, I, I hear you on that. It's just like, it's such a brain drain to be in Slack all day. <laughs> Stephanie says, what's different? It has a hundred percent organization that have zero. Yeah, there's not a lot of internal meetings. John, John's got white space. Um, 
one of the things I can't remember who I heard this from, but like for me, the way I manage my calendar, white space is the enemy. I don't want any white space on my calendar. I want every block accounted for, even if it's not a meeting, which the stuff in red here, that's meetings, right? That's sales activities. The stuff in yellow is our break time. The stuff in green is prospecting activities. The stuff in this kind of like light purpley blue kind of color is admin type stuff. And then we have internal meetings there in purple. Oh, yeah, it's my favorite person, Charles, Grant Cardone, <laughs> that talks about white space being the enemy. Um, and I was being sarcastic, by the way. Uh, topic for another time. Um, okay, so there's a couple of kind of key takeaways with this. Okay. Will your schedule look as perfect as this one does all the time? No, it's probably not. Okay. But one of the things that is like really intentional here that you can take away is the check email and Slack. So do you see how there's like space between the times that I'm checking email and Slack? So what I don't want to do is I don't want, it's kind of like Fight Club. Is it, you guys seen Fight Club or does that age me a little bit? I don't know how, what the age demographic here is on the call. You guys seen Fight Club before? Let me know in the chat. Is that, or is that like a really outdated reference? <laughs> okay. So in Fight Club, uh, yeah, only one world Jeremy says. So, okay. So in Fight Club, what they talk about is like the stuff you own starts to own you. He was talking about just having too much stuff. And I think they might've been talking about clothes and jewelry and fancy stuff. In today's modern age, what tends to happen is the tech that we use starts to own us. So in other words, Slack dictates what we spend our attention on. The notifications on my iPhone going off, that dictates where I spend my time. Getting pinged when an email comes in, that dictates how I spend my time. Now, I'm going to recommend something to you. This is, this is what I do and I recommend reps do and what I see top performers doing. I want you to turn off notifications when you don't need to see them. So in other words, if I'm checking email and Slack, that is the only time that a notification is going to come into my inbox and, and ping me and say an email came in. That's the only time my phone is going to be not on do not disturb mode is when I want it to disturb me. Courtney, I feel you on that and I hate that. She said, my boss demands that I respond to her on Slack at all times in approximately five to 10 minutes. I hate that so much. I'm like, how could you possibly get something done? So what I would recommend here, and your schedule might need to be a little bit different, okay? Maybe the check email on Slack, maybe you need that every hour for 15 minutes. Maybe it's every one and a half hours. Maybe it's every two hours, whatever it is, okay? You need to have time that you protect from distractions. The easiest way to do that is to have do not disturb mode on your computer, your laptop like I have here, or on your phone like I have here. I don't want you to be notified about something unless you want to be notified about it. Like it's just robbing you of your willpower because that's another decision that you have to make, okay? So that's the first big takeaway is be intentional about when you check email and Slack. Okay. Odds are that a customer, a prospect, like, dude, there's not a big difference between responding right when you get an email versus an hour later. All the data would support that too around response time. It's different if something comes inbound for the first time new, you want to respond within five minutes, but you should hopefully have automation taking care of that. Okay. The other thing, what you'll notice here is that 
the outbound prep happens on Monday. I'm queuing outreach sequences on Monday so that I can have really productive call blocks first thing in the morning. And it's got the specific amount of activity that I want in there. So I want you to think of Mondays and Fridays as like your prep to really nail it Tuesday through Thursday. You'll also notice that there are cold blocks, cold call blocks here on Mondays and Fridays. The reason for that is that sales professionals, you may have been taught this, are typically told, uh, hey, don't call prospects on Mondays because it's a busy day. They got meetings. And don't call them on Friday because it's the end of the week and they're going to be super stressed. Well, you know what? A lot of salespeople don't call people during those blocks. So the open rate on emails tends to be higher. And the uh, pickup rate on cold calls tends to be a lot higher too. So keep that in mind. I want to schedule prospecting activities where I'm most likely to get my prospect's attention. And you'll see the other thing here with time blocks is that most of these are 30 to 60 minutes long. Right? I'm keeping it short. I'm keeping it sweet. I can provide a bunch of, or I can execute, excuse me. I can take a shit ton of action and then take a break. And then you'll notice that the admin and planning all at the end. And I'm going to share this document with you guys so that you have it. So you can take a look at this calendar. Um, let me make sure. I'm just looking at the Q&A. I'm not seeing anything that's come in. Okay. Let's keep moving. Everyone's still awake? You guys good? Getting some value? Yeah? Let me know if you're still here <laughs> in the chat. We still got a bunch of people on the call. So, okay, cool. <laughs> okay, so that's the commit piece. Uh, step number three is uh, execute. So anytime I get a group of salespeople on a call like this, I always want to make sure you get some really tactical things to do related to my specialty, which is outbound, getting people to pick up uh, the phone and land meetings with them, respond to emails, et cetera. So, so far we've talked about the need to prioritize 80-20 rule. Let's figure out which accounts we're going to ignore. Let's figure out what accounts that we're going to really spend a ton of quality effort on. We've talked about commit. It needs to be in our calendar. There's some things that we need to do to shuffle this around. And really, um, like the calendar that I showed you, that's how a world-class business professional, any elite entrepreneur, executive, sales professional, whatever it is, that's how they tackle their week. So the third part I want to talk about is execute. So I want to give you guys, it looks like I have four plays here I want to give you. Uh, one of them. Uh, I'm going to show you some examples and you get some templates here in a second. I call it the account reactivator pack. Uh, I want to talk about how to re-engage stalled deals and then how to re-engage closed lost deals. This is like low-hanging fruit that's super important. Let me know in the chat, um, what do you think is the biggest mistake when a rep goes to re-engage a deal that was stalled? So let's say we had a really good call and then a month later, it's like the prospects kind of ghosted. We haven't been able to get in touch with them. Or we go to reapproach one of our closed loss deals from last quarter or the year before. What are the things that we want to avoid? What are the biggest mistakes that people tend to make? <laughs> the just checking in. Yeah, Robert, you kind of nailed that part. Another product I should do, that's, that never works. So we have a new feature set. Unless that was the thing that kept them from moving forward, that's not going to work. Yeah, no new value. Did you see my email? They don't care. 
Yeah. You guys nailed it. Okay. Let me run you through this play. I think you guys are really going to dig this one. This is a super simple one to execute. You need to have a few things in order to execute this. So let's talk about how to re-engage stalled deals. All right. So this is a very variation of an email that, that landed a meeting to re-engage this deal. What do you see in the chat? Drop it into the chat. What do you see in this email? What are the key components of an email like this? Drop it into the chat. Robert says reminder of pain. Dude, it's it's quantified. In order to get this, you're going to have to do really good discovery. So hopefully you did great discovery. This, that was my prospects. That was literally what they called their top initiative. That was the thing that we attached to. Um, we're not doing, a, this is not a webinar on, on how to do proper discovery. But one of the big things that's so important right now, if you're not doing it, is you need to attach to an existing priority. So what is an existing departmental priority or business priority? You need to attach to that and talk about how you can help with it. If you're not doing that, like your deals, you're, you're gonna get this isn't a priority. You're gonna get that objection a lot. You're gonna get this isn't in the budget. We need to push to Q4, we need to push to 2020. You're gonna get that a lot if you don't attach to an existing priority. So a simple question that I would recommend that you ask in your, in your discovery is um, like, I wanna know about existing priorities and uh, business priorities. Okay. So you could just simply ask, Hey, what business priority does this impact most? Or is there a specific KPI or metric that you're trying to make movement on? How does that connect with an existing business priority of your CRO right now? So you can also ask that if you're not talking to the C-level executive, which you probably aren't, you could just ask, Hey, your, C your CRO, Chris, what are his top two priorities right now? that relate most to the conversation that we're having. All right. So I want to be able to get the priority. And hopefully I've covered two key drivers or some sort of gap. Here's what we talked about. And then the call to action, is this no longer a priority or did you find another solution? And someone said, yeah, there was a typo in there. <laughs> or did you find another solution? So that's the template right there, right? There's all kinds of like different kind of subject lines and all of that kind of stuff that you can use. So re-engaging closed loss deals, very similar. Let me know in the chat, what components do you see in this email? And, and these are emails that worked in landed meetings. Let me know in the chat, this is re-engaging a closed loss deal. What components of this email do you see in action here? Yeah, it's spaced really easy. Let's just, let's see if we can get a word count on this too. 75 words. Good rule of thumb. Keep your email under 80 words. If you want it to be read, the average prospect spends about 10 and a half seconds reading an email that they open. So you don't really have a lot that you can say. So 50 to 80 words is kind of the sweet spot. Yeah, really simple ask. Social proof. Yep. That's where I redacted the company name. But yeah, here's what we talked about. That's the initiative, right? The priority. I'm quantifying the problem. And I'm sharing a proof point. Is this still a priority? Yes or no? Cool. 
let's keep going. So next play. This one's a little bit more tactical, all right? So here's some interesting data on subject lines. You guys will have to forgive me on the sales hacker and I notice I have sales loft data in here. I hope that's okay that I'm sharing it. Um, <laughs> so we have uh, subject lines. I think one of the easiest ways to improve open rates. So for those of you that are not having very much success with email right now because people are not opening them, keeping your subject lines under five words that's really the key. I call these boring subject lines. Okay, One of the biggest things that I see people making a mistake of, and let me actually, let me do this little exercise with you guys. Okay, take a look at this. So one ask that I would recommend is ask your sales leader to see if they can facilitate someone within your company that's at a persona that you sell to. So let's say that you sell a uh, solution to finance. See if your sales leader can facilitate a call where your CFO comes on the call and they screen share their inbox and show you the cold outreach that they're getting so you can see what you're competing against. Super clutch, okay? So let me share my screen here. These are flagged in my inbox. These are the cold emails that I've gotten recently. You can see it looks like we lumped in marketing emails a little bit to this too. Let me know in the chat, what do you see, good or bad, about the cold emails here in my inbox? Let me zoom in. So look at the subject line. Look at the first line of the email. What do you notice? Lots of sameness, a lot of I statements, lots of Jasons. So they all kind of look like sales emails. Would you agree? Like here's my, uh, hopefully there's nothing in here that I shouldn't show you guys, but this is my inbox. Like look at the emails that I send back and forth with people that I know. Like look at the subject lines of these emails. Like they're very like kind of short and sweet. They don't look like these update emails, right? They don't look like these. These are very clear marketing emails. In my primary inbox, they're a little bit shorter. Hey, let's get started. Like two words there, right? And if we go back into these cold emails, dude, these just don't look like emails that came from someone that I know. Will Allred over at Lavender, definitely would follow him, you guys, if you're not. Um, give Will a little love. Follow him on a LinkedIn. Let him know that I sent you. Um, he uses the phrase internal camouflage. So your subject lines in the first line of the email, you want them to look like how someone would email other people internally. And when people email internally, they don't like capitalize usually the first letter of every word. Right, this right here, no one sends an, an email to someone that they know with a subject line like this. You know what I mean? So the big takeaway here, let me move back over to this, is under five words, one word subject lines are pretty cool, but here's some examples, okay? 
you can think about, hey, what's an area that I help with? AE prospecting or what I might use now is like AE self-sourcing. That's also a common problem, right? Low response rates. I had a client that they sold an automated welding solution, right? So it's both hardware and software as a service. The number one challenge industry-wide with all of the manufacturing and operations leaders that they're reaching out to is the shortage of labor talent uh, of welders, the shortage of welding talent. So you know what subject line they use? Welders. You know what open rate percentage it had? 90 plus percent of those emails got opened. It's the number one thing that is top of mind for them. Right? So this is what internal camouflage looks like, right? If someone was sending an email over them about something related to welders and it was internal, they would just say welders. They wouldn't like put this long email together, right? So if you're going to go personalized, one of the things that you can do too is like a name of a specific product, a name of a specific initiative, the name of one of their competitors potentially, right? So boring subject lines, super clutch. I'm going to give you two more, and then we'll save some time for Q&A. Um, point voicemails to emails. Orem ran a study on 7.8 million outbound calls, and what they found is that it's about a 25% higher chance that the person picks up your second and third call if you leave them a voicemail on the first call. But the thing that we need to do is we need to reduce the friction of responding. So what I want you to do, do not ask for a call back when you leave a voicemail. Exactly, Stephanie. Don't ask the prospect to call you back. So you know what's kind of interesting? I'm just opening up my voicemail here. I have a 100% open rate on my voicemails. That doesn't mean I listen to the entire voicemail, but 100% of the voicemails that I get, I'm going to open and see what it's about. What other channel do you have that engagement with? Prospects are certainly not looking at 100% of what you email them. They're looking at about 30% or less. They're definitely not accepting every connection request that you send to them. But if you leave a voicemail with very, very high certainty, they're at least going to click on it and look at it. And oftentimes it's transcribed. And oftentimes that transcription is emailed to them. So instead of asking for a call back, I'm just going to ask them, I'm going to point the voicemail to the email. I'm going to, I'm going to say, no need to call me back. I just sent you an email and the subject line is welders. I have some insight in there around how other organizations like X, Y, and Z are approaching the, the labor shortage right now around, around welding type, uh, talent. By the way, it's Jason. No need to call me back. Again, the subject line is welders. Pretty cool, right? So point the voicemail to the email. That isn't just applicable to outbound, by the way. Even with people that you know, prospects that you've been talking to, you could say, no need to call me back. I just sent you a text. Or no need to call me back. I just sent you an email. Okay, so point the voicemail to the email. I got one more. Okay, so this is the play that you can run and I'm going to share the document and uh, I'll try to get to as many questions as I can. So if you have a question, if you could drop it into the Q&A for me, I'll try to get to as many as I can. I would, I would probably try to do that right now if you want your question answered. And I'll try to get to as many as I can. Okay, so we talked about earlier a play to run on past employees of previous or, uh, Past employees of current clients, excuse me. So someone that uh, used to work at a company that is a current client of yours, okay? So this is a play that you can run when you reach out to them. So this is a fictitious example. So Ethan 
director of sales at Zoom, which is one of my customers. Hey, we're working with Jason Bay over there right now to help them increase their percentage of meetings scheduled from their cold outreach. Thought their learnings could help with the work you're doing at Medallia now. Right? So Ethan is at Medallia and he used to work at Zoom, which is a current client. And we just referenced that. Hey, we're getting some really good results. It doesn't even matter if you worked with them while he was there. So that's like a variation of that email that you can send. There's another one in here if you don't have someone specific that you could reference. Or sorry, if you have a case study. Super simple. This play is so good for just like creating engagement within accounts for past employees of current customers. So I'm going to share this. Let me, let me drop this into the chat. and You guys can make a copy. All right, copy this. There you go. All right, I'm going to do one other thing before we get to Q&A. I would love, like, I post content every day here. So if you want more tips like what I shared with you today, follow me on LinkedIn. Make sure to give that uh, document a copy so that you have it. Um, cool. All right, I'm going to try to get to as many questions as I can now. Um, what I would love from you guys as I'm doing this, could you let me know in the chat, what's your biggest takeaway been so far during this webinar? Let me know in the chat. I would love to see what your biggest takeaway has been, and I'll get to as many questions as I can here. Okay. <laughs> Will Taylor says, uh, hey, JV, on Parkinson's Law, I can set a deadline to the end of the day, but there's always something tomorrow where I can spill stuff over. I didn't do any advice apart from finding a life coach, LOL. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that you could do too is uh, create a clear end to the day. And maybe what you do in, in your first 30 minutes of your workday is like catch up on stuff that you didn't get a chance to do. The purpose of this, the goal here is just to be intentional with that time. So if you need catch up time in the morning, that's okay. Just make sure it's blocked off and accounted for and planned for. That way it doesn't become something that's super stressful for you. Okay. Praveen says, I have a mixed bucket of inbound conversation from XDRs and also am responsible for my own prospecting. The challenge happens when there's a new inbound in my pipe and all my prospecting activities go for a toss. How do I deal with it? It's affecting my discipline with prospecting, but cannot compromise on prep for inbound. Hmm. If I'm understanding the, uh, this question correctly, is that the inbound lead, it sounds like is transferred right to you. So this is like a really tough one. So here's what I would look at is I would run the data and just maybe look at when your inbound leads come, what time do most of them tend to come? And maybe you block off that time and leave it open for you to be really responsive. And then you do your outbound time around times where you're not getting a lot of inbound. And then that way you can kind of segment your time. And again, you guys, the whole thing here is to be really purposeful with how you spend your time. Be specific about, hey, this block, I'm going to be really open, responsive, receptive, but this block, I'm only going to do this one thing. I'm only going to do outbound during this block. So I would recommend uh, creating time blocks, Praveen, around when you need to be responsive and just accounting for that space in your calendar. Uh, Brian McFadden or McFadden asks uh, on the chat, it was asked if there are stats on best times, days to call. 
Uh, there is no like special answer to this, Brian. The best thing you can do is just open up outreach and run a report and see when pickup rates are the highest for you. That would be the best thing. Outside of that, Monday uh, mid-afternoon and Friday mid-afternoon tend to be really good pickup times as well. And then first thing in the morning. That's where I would start if you need a starting place. Um, okay, we got a lot of anonymous in here. Okay, someone said, hey, if it's been a while since I've done consistent cold calling, but I've done it in the past, how do you recommend re-engaging with those skills? I need to get back into it, but I have call reluctance since I'm so out of practice. So if anyone's, uh, I, I hear that a lot, by the way. So just like anything else, immersion is the best way to get back into something. The only way to get comfortable with it is to do it. What I would do is like lower the stakes though. So this is where you could spend some time on C priority accounts to kind of warm up. As you could say, let me just like for a week, call into my worst accounts just to get through my learning curve and to get comfortable again. Because if it doesn't go well, it's really low risk. I didn't blow an opportunity with something that was really good. Uh, the other thing that I would do too, this is something you can just incorporate into your everyday personal life. Start asking for more things in your personal life. Stuff where there's a high likelihood that you're going to get a no. So for example, one of the things that I try to be really intentional with is if I go to a store like a Target, don't do this to a small local business, is uh, if there's a coupon that expired, I'll still ask if they can honor that discount. Knowing that most of the time they're probably going to say no, and a lot of times they actually say yes. Uh, if you go to a Starbucks, ask for a 10% discount or 50% off, you know, ask, get used to asking for stuff where there's a high likelihood that the person's going to tell you no, and you sort of desensitize yourself to it. Um, that's all I got you guys, uh, time for with Q and a, uh, this was awesome. Uh, let me know again, connect with me, connect with Savannah. I would love to connect with you guys on LinkedIn. Drop me a connection request and post content on a daily basis. Um, Savannah and Sales Hacker, thank you for having me and everyone. Love the engagement. So this, this was super fun. 